You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. Good to laugh when you go to church. It's good to have fun and just to experience joy in the presence of God. I, I believe God the Father loves to have life and He comes to give us life and life more abundantly. Uh, I read a story, heard a story this past week. It's got nothing to do with the message, but maybe uh, I'll share with you anyhow. Actually, you're not supposed to tell bathroom stories in at church, I once heard, but I'm going to tell you anyhow. This, uh, this actually happened to this lady. I think she was in the airport, and uh, she writes about how she, she'd gone into, into the washroom, and she said, I was in a public washroom and barely sitting down when I heard a voice in the other stall say, how are you? Me, a bit embarrassed, um, doing fine. Stall. So what are you up to? Me. Uh, I'm just like you, just sitting here. Stall, can I come over? Me, with attitude, no, I'm a little busy right now. <laughs> stall, listen, I'll have to call you back. There's an idiot in the other stall who keeps answering all my questions. <laughs> like I said, that's got nothing to do with the message. I don't even know why I shared that. Anyhow, we are going to talk about a wish for significance this morning. Last week we talked about a wish for family. And if you happen to miss that message, catch it on podcast. Go there and grab it because it was a really important message as we go into the Christmas season. We all wish for different things and we can make a Christmas wish list. But really behind the scenes, running in the background is a wish for family. We want to be connected with family. That's why when we had our gala and that banquet night, it was so much fun because it really was church family. We also have our own families. And we, at Christmas time, we think about it. We want to be with family. Christmas is an amplifier. It amplifies loneliness. It amplifies family. It tends to magnify what's going on in our life. And we're doing this series because we want to go into Christmas a better way. Remember, in January, we started a whole year a better way. God has a better way. We put banners on the back wall. They've been up there so long we don't see them anymore. But all the banners have verses on them. We talk about God has a better way. And to go into Christmas, it's good to know that he has a better way as far as what we're really wishing for and how God has placed in us this desire for significance to be valued And really, he's the only one that can fulfill that. A wish is simply this. We shared it last week. A wish is that it's a strong desire for something that's not easily attained. We live in a world that is looking for significance. We're looking to be valued. You'd know the song by Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You. If you haven't heard it, you will hear it this year somewhere in a store or on the radio, television. You'll hear that song. It was released in 1994, and she sold millions of copies. The words, part of the words go like this. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own, more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. And what she's really saying in that song is, yeah, I don't want presents. What I really would like, though, is I'd like for you to accept me. I want to be wanted by you. The definition of significance, it's in your notes, is the quality of being worthy of attention, of importance. And doesn't our society today scream for that? I want to be worthy of your attention. I'll, I'll do my makeup different. I'll get in shape. I'll do this. I'll do that. I just want you to feel like I'm worthy of your attention. I don't want presence as much as I want your attention. What is that? Inside of us, that's a wish for significance. 
I wish to be valued. I wish for being felt like I am worthy of you spending time with me. That's really our Christmas wish, to feel worthy, to feel like we're important. That's what we want to talk about this morning. As I mentioned, that sense of significance, that sense of that hunger we have inside of us, that's God-given. God put that hunger on the inside of us. And here's the key. Only God can truly satisfy that hunger. Only his approval on our life can really satisfy that. If we live our life constantly trying to meet the approval of others, we'll never truly be satisfied with a sense of significance. Now, why is that so important? And we'll share some of the reasons. But one of the key reasons is that if we don't have a true sense of significance, we go into isolation. That's a problem in our city, loneliness. Another thing is it really squelches creativity. Because if I step out and do something and others don't approve it, I tend to think, well, I won't try that again because they didn't like it. They didn't clap. They didn't like it. So I'm not sure I'll do that again. And so it stifles us. And our enemy would like to hold us back from really feeling sense of worth and significance to accomplish what God's put in our heart to do. So today is a talk about a wish for significance. God views us differently than the way the world does. The world values us, first of all, based on our performance. Typically, you're hired if you can perform well. If you can sell cars, you can make good money. If you can put a puck in the net and skate well, you can make a lot of money playing hockey. If you can do, you name the skill, play an instrument, uh, you know, work in an office, whatever it might be, construction. If you perform well, you're valued and you're paid accordingly. Now, of course, when we hire somebody, we also do a background check. We want to make sure that there's character there as well. So we value that. Both of those are earned. You earn that respect. You earn that valuing. There's another way that we value others, and that's intrinsic value. God flips it upside down. Remember our series over the summer, the upside-down kingdom. The world values you first on performance, then on character, and lastly, they might value on your intrinsic value as a human being. God does it the other way around. First of all, he values you on your intrinsic value. That is a value that you have because you were created in the image of God. Do you know that every person on the planet has the exact same intrinsic value? doesn't matter where you were born. doesn't matter what you might have even as a handicap or what issue you might have in your life. Every one of us have the exact same intrinsic value. Would you agree? We all have that. Who gave that to us? God gave that to us because we are created in his image. We're created in his image because we are to reflect him, we reflect his forgiveness. We forget, for, we learn how to speak. We, <laughs> we reflect his love. We reflect his holiness. We reflect his character in our lives. We're, we're made to do that. We're created in his image. If I take off my gold ring, I don't wear a lot of jewelry, but I, I do wear a ring and a watch. This ring here is made out of gold. It's got certain performance, if you like, features about it. It's designed a certain way. It's got a certain uh, diamond or two that's set into it. And it's, it's the ring that has uh, value because of its design. It's also got certain character to it because it was given to be my, my wife on our wedding. So it's got certain value. This gold ring has certain value. And that value may go up or down. But there's something about this gold ring that will never change. It's the gold in the ring. This gold has intrinsic value. 
If I melted it, I wouldn't reduce the value of it. If I pounded on an anvil flat, I wouldn't reduce the value of the gold. No matter what I did, the gold is still worth $1,700 an ounce. It can't be reduced. It can't be destroyed. Likewise, your intrinsic value cannot be reduced. It cannot be destroyed. No matter what you have done, you are still carrying the same intrinsic value and that you are a child of God. You're created in his image. We have this intrinsic value from our God. Man was created in his image. Now, Satan wants to come along. His strategy is for us to value the opinion of others more than the truth of what God says about us. That's his strategy. And if we live out that lie where I'm valuing what other people say about me, if my significance comes from what others say about me more than what God has said about me, it's going to have a negative effect on my life. Here's Satan's lie. Your self-worth is equal to your performance plus others' opinions. That's the culture we live in. That's the society we live in. And it's kind of hard to make a change on that because we're so used to that. My worth is based on how well I performed and what others have said about me. That's how I get my sense of significance or worth or value. God is a little bit different, a lot different. His truth is this. Self-worth is equal to his truth about me plus my acceptance of it. He could say it about me, but if I don't accept it, then it's not going to affect my worth. But if I believe what God says to be true about me, that will give me a true sense of significance and worth. Robert McGee in his book, Search for Significance, says, Our true value is not based on our behavior or the approval of others, but on what God's word says is true of us. Again, we live in a culture where status and beauty and wealth and all kinds of other things tends to place the significance or the value of somebody. But God says, I have a different way to do that. True significance can only come from living for Christ and not the approval of others. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Whatever we do, it's because Christ's love controls us. I'm not doing this because I'm looking for just the approval of others. I'm doing this because Christ's love controls me. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we have all died to the old life we used to live. I've died to my old life I used to live. Last Saturday night, some of you were able to make it here, but most of us weren't able to make it last Saturday night. But young Tyler gave his testimony at water baptism. Tyler is seven years old, and he stood up and he was sharing his story. And Pastor Cheryl asked him, so what does baptism mean to you tonight? And, you know, sometimes kids, they just nail it. He gave the most amazing response. He said, when I go into the water, my old life is going to be behind bars. That's good theology. My old life is behind bars. He's no longer going to be living. This is a seven-year-old. He got it. The only way that old life gets out from behind the bars is if we let it out. But other than that, it's behind bars. It no longer has a right to control my life. That's what Paul's saying here in 2 Corinthians 5. Then it goes on to say, He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, it has to be received, will no longer live to please themselves. Wow. Because isn't that the way our world lives? We have a very self-interest world. I was chatting with one of the guys in our life group earlier this week, and he were talking about marriages and families and he said oh you know it's so driven by self it's so driven by when people marry when they have kids when all these things it's driven by self myself my needs it's all about me and instead of living for others 
and living for Christ. There's this, I must live to please myself. They live to please, uh, but those who receive this new life no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they live to please Christ who died and was raised for them. Our desire for acceptance pressures us to perform for the praises of others. And yet, despite our best efforts, you never find lasting fulfillment if you have to keep proving yourself to others. So, understand that this change takes time. Because we live in a world that's so geared this way that if you do certain things, you're going to be accepted. Where Christ comes along and says, no, I have accepted you. I have approved you. Get your sense of worth and value from that truth. All truth comes in seed form. This is good for us to know because we live in a computer era where we can make changes really quick. You can download an app really quick. You can upload a program and, and your computer has changed. But I've got news for you this morning. We are not computers. We tend to want to make changes in our lives like we make changes on our iPhone or iPad or a computer, but we can't make changes in our life that quick. We make changes in our life by receiving truth in seed form. When you embrace it in seed form, if you study Jesus and what he says, he uses a lot of agrarian metaphors, farming metaphors, seed, harvest, planting, so forth. And all truth comes in seed form. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That truth has come in seed form. It is the incorruptible seed. When you take it into your heart, your heart is the soil. And when you embrace that seed, it germinates and then as the Lord said, it can produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. If you get impatient and quit on it, there's no fruit. He has to take that seed and embrace it. This key truth of your significance comes to us in seed form. If you allow it to germinate in your heart, mama, mama, my, you will find emotional stability, social stability, spiritual stability. And you might not get a like on your photograph or you may not get a like on your Facebook and somebody may not want to connect with you on LinkedIn, but it doesn't affect your sense of worth and well-being. We live in a world that's so geared on how many likes we have. And the big like that we have in our life, folks, is that God likes us. You can't get a bigger like than that. Amen. Give him praise. He likes you. Now, I say liked you because we're used to saying God loves me. Well, God loves me because he has to love me. He's love. He has to love me. No, no. He doesn't just love you, folks. God really, really, really likes you. There's people you love because you love them with the God kind of love. And then there's people you just like. I like to be with them. I like hanging out with them. I like doing life with them. I like going to a party with them. Guess what? God likes you like that. Here's another interesting twist. Sometimes, well, well, Jesus likes me, but God, God, God's God. No, no. God, the Father, is reflected in Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Another place he said, Jesus is the reflection of the Father. The Father likes you. We could stop there. That's all I said this morning. That would be enough. God likes me. He clicked like on your life. Just turn to your neighbor and say, God really likes you. 
He really does. In his book, The Search for Significance, Robert McGee lists four false beliefs and along with God's answer to them and the consequences. The first false belief is this, and we've all thought this. I must meet certain standards to feel good about myself. That's the way our world lives, this performance world. If I meet certain standards, yes, I met my targets, I met this, met that, now I can feel good about myself. That's actually a false belief if you want to live in true significance that God gives us. The consequence of it is the fear of failure. We are not designed to live and operate in fear. I have a diesel truck. If I put gasoline in my diesel truck, it will die. I am designed to live by faith. If I put fear in my heart, my heart dies. We came hardwired from the factory, if you like, to run off of faith. The just shall live by faith, not by fear. This false belief causes us to operate our life out of fear. Here's what it says. Uh, or Here's the point. The fear of failure, which is perfectionism driven to succeed or manipulating others to achieve success, and with also we have withdrawal from risks because I don't want to fail again because I didn't meet certain standards. Or if I did meet standards, I did perform well, and I did succeed, there's also the temptation for pride to come in because we base our life on this false belief. God's answer to that is this word justification. Somebody said justification is defined as just as I've never sinned. Justification also means God has not only forgiven my sins, yes, but he's also granted me something called righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. I am right with God because of what Jesus did for me. This is significant for significance that we know that I am right with God because of what Jesus did for him. When that's in place, I no longer have to have a fear of failure by meeting certain standards because I know that I'm right with God. He likes me. He approves of me. It gives me a stability in my life. Here's a couple of verses. Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm pleasing to him because he has justified me. Romans 5.17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. That was through the fence going back to Adam. Much more those who receive. Again, here's this word receive. This has to be received. Abundance of grace. Now watch this. And of the gift of righteousness. This is a gift. This is going to be more teaching this morning. So just hang in there. The gift of righteousness. Now, what does it say after that? If you receive the gift of righteousness, you will reign in life through Christ Jesus. What causes people to reign in life? Why do some people just seem to really succeed and take off as believers and others don't seem to reign in life? Folks, it's rooted in receiving this revelation that you are the righteous of God. You have significance. Whether you're approved by men or not does not determine your success. Your success and your significance is rooted in the fact of your right standing with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. Let me explain that verse to you. That's a great verse. That's a powerful truth. Let's say you had two ledgers. We don't use ledgers anymore in accounting because we've got QuickBooks and all those other things. But let's say we had a ledger. On one side of the ledger are all your transgressions, all your sins, all your mistakes are written down. Every time you got angry and lost it, every time you did this wrong or that wrong, it's all written on one side. How many know for all of us it's a pretty long list? It's all on this side. 
All, every ugly thing you did is written down there. Then the other side of the ledger is Jesus, his purity, no sin, his righteousness, his right standing with God because there's no sin. You can't stand before a holy God if you have sin in your life. Then he wouldn't be holy if he let you do that. He can't allow that to happen. And so on this side, you have the holiness, the righteousness of Christ. What this verse is talking about is the ledgers were switched. Jesus took your ledger, and he gave you his ledger. He took all your sins, and he placed it on him. The wrath of God came on Christ, so it wouldn't have to come on you. And you got his ledger. Now you are in right standing with God. That gives you the greatest sense of significance and approval and worth you're ever going to find on the planet. And let me say this. We do ourselves a disfavor when we look for the approval of others over and above what God has already proved us. We know this, and yet we're still looking for the approval of others to have a sense of significance and worth. I think the disfavor to God when he's already approved us on such a high level, they think, oh, yeah, but if I just get something to like me, then I'll feel good about myself. Look what God has done for us. Now, it's hard for us. I, I, this change is not easy to, to make this shift. We have to think about it and meditate on it because we live in a world that's so uh, performance-driven. You don't get access to something unless you've really done well. Have you ever traveled in economy and wish you could sit in first class? There's a few of us out there. That's me. Yeah, I go in economy, and I'm sitting there, you know. I always try to get an aisle seat because I get a little more leg room. And sometimes I'll try to book the, uh, if you guys fly, you know, if you get a little more leg room on the exit row. So I'll try to get an exit row. I'll try to do anything. I will go online. You guys do this? I go online like a day ahead of time, and I check, where's the best seat? And I'm trying to find my best seat on the plane, right? And then I sit down in my, my seat, and they, they come by. You know, if you sit in first class, they know your name, Mr. Coop, or we'd like to get you. But if you're in economy, they don't know your name. They just roll the cart down. The, what can I get you? And they'll give you, would you like a coffee? Or would you like to pay, you know, you can have a snack. We'll sell you a sandwich. It's old and stale for $15. Are you going to, you know, you bring your snack with you. And, and they say, oh, well, we, we have a bag of peanuts. And you get the little bag of peanuts and you wrestle. No, it's not even peanuts. It's a dried pretzel. You, and then you wrestle to get it open and you shake the bag and two pretzels fall out. And that's your, that's your snack. You're in economy. What do you expect? And then while you're sitting there, you, you hear this tinkle of glasses and the plates and china. And you know they're getting an omelet on the other side of that curtain. You know, you're sitting in economy and they... And you're sitting there, and they'll come up. And after the plane takes off, they'll <laughs> close the curtain because that's first class. I, I didn't know you're not supposed to use a washroom on that side one time, so I, some of you have done that. I walked there, and I pulled the curtain back, and the stewardess says, Sir, you can't come back here. You have no access back here. They go, Well, I just need the washroom. Look at the lineup down there that hall. She says, Sir, you have to go to that washroom. I said, But there's nobody here. Sir, you do not have access, so you cannot use this. So I had to go back to my seat and wait because I didn't have access to it. And uh, my friend one time had access to the Maple Leaf Lounge. And so I thought, well, I'll go with him. And so I went to the Maple Leaf Lounge and they said to him, oh, so-and-so, you can come in. Yes, come on up. I gave him my boarding pass. Mr. Coop, you do not have access to the Maple Leaf Lounge. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm with my friend. It doesn't matter. You have no access. You can't get in because your friend, you have no access to the Maple Leaf Lounge. 
So I had to go sit in the crowd. And so I went back there. I didn't have access. So I said, well, what do, what do I have to do to get access? Well, your friend is super elite status. I said, okay, well, what do I have to get super elite status? Mr. Coop, you'll have to take 90, consecu- or 90 flights or 100,000 miles this year. And then it starts all over again. But you have to have 100,000 miles a year to get super elite status. I said, well, I'll never get super elite status. <laughs> I don't fly that much. So I couldn't go. I couldn't have access. But isn't that the world we live in? To get super elite status, do this, do this, do that. And now you can have access to the Maple Leaf Lounge. I've got news for you, folks. You have access to something far better than the Maple Leaf Lounge, far better than first class. You have access to your father. Hallelujah. And he gifted it to you. He gifted it to you. It's called the gift of righteousness, right standing. And you get to come right into the presence of your father. Wow. Mama, mama, mama. I'm going to preach myself happy this morning because this is good news. That's significance. People that get on the plane that fly first class, there's a sense of significance. When you go into the presence of Father, there's a sense of significance, of approval, of acceptance. And please, I'm not down on flying first class. I'd like to do it every time if I could. It'd be nice, but you get the point for illustration. My grandson, Jake, he gets this. Because... He'll come to church with his parents, and when he arrives, he will, it doesn't matter what staff is at the door, how many people are in the way, he just kind of moves them all the way, moves the door out of the way, and he comes right into my office. In my bottom drawer, I have three cars, three Hot Wheels, and so he knows where the Hot Wheels are. I've kept them there for him, of course, and he comes in, he opens the door, and the first thing, it doesn't matter, I could be five minutes before the service, but Jake will come right into my office, doesn't matter who's there, he feels fully approved, fully significant, has full access, it doesn't matter who's there, because his papa's there, and he can go right into papa's presence, he comes in, he jumps on my laps, and he says, play cards, he wants to play cards, doesn't matter what I'm doing, but he wants to play cards with his papa. You can come right into the presence of God. That is such a sense of significance and worth that we can come right into his presence and be with our father hallelujah that's good news yeah wow i'm way off topic here in my notes but anyhow it's all good number two is a false belief is that i must be approved or accepted by certain others to feel good about myself i don't feel good unless i've got approval of others god again has approved you That's your greatest sense of significance worth you're going to get. We live in a world, like I mentioned, that has likes. Especially now with social media, it's even more so. You know, oh, I asked somebody to connect with me, they didn't connect with me. I asked somebody to like me, they didn't like me. And uh, somebody took me off their Facebook page or whatever. Do you know who has the most likes on their Facebook page in Canada? Can anybody guess this morning? Justin Bieber, he's number one at 48 million or something. They really like that Canadian kid. Justin Bieber, number one. Okay, a little harder question. Can you guess which company or which brand is number one in Canada for likes on their Facebook? Tim Hortons, that's correct. That's number one. This side of the room is so sharp today. Okay, I'm going to bring it up. A little bit harder question. Can you guess which sport page? So it would be a sport team or a sport franchise. Which is number one in Canada? Maple Leafs is not. That's good. 
Edmonton Oilers is not even on the list that I saw. <laughs> Sorry. Canucks were number four. Montreal was up there, but that's the number one. This surprised me, it might surprise you, was Major League Baseball. Maybe down east there's a lot of, I don't know. But that was number one. I was just surprised. It's got nothing to do with the message. But anyhow. Pray for your preacher. He needs a lot of prayer. The second false belief is this. I must be approved, accepted by certain others to feel good about myself. That's a lie. That leads to a fear of rejection. Again, we're designed to live, operate by faith, not fear. And if I'm living my life to get the approval of others, it will lead to a fear of rejection and withdrawal. The German psychologist Eric Fromm once wrote, The deep need of man is the need to overcome separateness, to leave the prison of aloneness. And that's ultimately what Satan wants. He wants us to live trying to get the approval of others. And when it doesn't happen, we end up in isolation by ourselves, robbing us of our creativity and our ability to live the full life that God intended for us to have. Paul said in Galatians 1.10, I am no longer living to try to please men. I'm living to please Christ. If I was trying to please men, I would no longer be a servant of Christ. Now, when you serve Christ, when you live for God, you will please people because it's a great way to live. But my priority is to live for God, not for the approval of people. My happiness is not resting in somebody else's head. My happiness rests in Christ. That's a big one. And the answer for that is reconciliation. Reconciliation means I was once an enemy of God, but now I've been reconciled. I've been brought back into friendship with God. Look at Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Fasten your seatbelts. Hang on. This is one powerful verse, all right? How many know God's word is living and alive, right? So are you ready? Okay, here we go. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. This includes you. Look at your neighbor and say, this includes you. This includes you. We're once so far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has brought you back as his friends. He friended you. He connected with you. You're linked in. That's what it is. He has done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. Now, here we go. Are you ready? As a result... He has brought you into the very presence of God. Better than the Maple Leaf Lounge. Better than first class. You're in the very presence of God. I'm not sure you're ready for this. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. My, 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 my. You stand before him without a single fault. How can that be? Because I've made a lot of mistakes. I'll tell you how it can be because he switched the ledger. Jesus took your ledger and he gave you his ledger. And you can come before him without a single fault because of what Christ has done for you. You can be as confident to run into your heavenly father's arms as my little grandson Jake is to run into my office and jump on my lap. This is your father. This is reconciliation. Justification is a legal thing. Reconciliation is a relationship thing. Then another false belief is those who fail are unworthy of love and deserve to be punished. That 
is the way the world would think, but that's not the way God thinks. If we live that way, we live under constant fear of punishment. We end up putting people down. We end up gossiping. There's a proverb that says um, that if you want to get rid of a fire, get rid of the gossiper. There's a fire in your office. There's a fire in your family. Then get, find out where the gossip's coming from. Satan will tempt us to blame others, and we end up living a life out of guilt. God's answer is propitiation. Another new word. God has satisfied God's wrath by his death on the cross. He, there should have been an outpouring of righteous wrath for sin, and he placed it on Christ so we wouldn't have to have it. That's that word. We find it in 1 John 4, 9. In this is the love of God was manifested toward us, that God had sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, what? To be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So that's that uh, remedy for that situation. Another false belief is, I am what I am. I can't change. I'm hopeless. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. I can't change. I'm past being changed. That's a false belief. That's what the lie the enemy would like you to believe. You're too old. You're too young. You're too this. You're too that. You're too broke. You don't have another education, whatever. That is a lie. And the fear that comes from that is a, a, there's a sense of shame, inferiority, there's a passiveness, and there's also a loss of creativity. If there's one thing we want to stir up at Coastal Church is creativity. That's why there's a grand piano up here. We'll tell you more about that in a minute. But uh, it's not me playing it either. That would be very creative. <laughs> that would be a miracle is what that would be. But tonight, of course, we have a great, uh, we're launching and helping uh, Rosemary and others launch a new album tonight. And they're, they're gifted musicians in the church, and we're stirring up creativity on that grand service, 22nd, 23rd, the media team being very creative. And uh, God wanted us to be creative. Why? Because he is a creator. But all of these lies will stifle your creativity. The fulfilled life is being knowing I'm significant and valued, either others approved it or not. There's this desire to be creative with my life. Uh, that's the consequence. And, uh, of course, the, the remedy for that is re- regeneration. And this is where a new life is imparted to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 3 to 5 says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, Toward man appeared, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. It appeared to us. We're living one way, and then it appeared to us. There's a man, he's on a trapeze, swinging back and forth. That trapeze is his life. That trapeze is his security. That's all he's known is that trapeze. That's been his life. It's broken down. It's filled with all what we described here, the lusts and all the rest of it. That's his life. And then one day, a new trapeze appears. God swings a new trapeze past him. And he gives him an opportunity to leave that old trapeze and jump onto this new life. But he's in a bit of a predicament. Because to leave the one trapeze and get to the next one, he'll actually have to let go of the old and jump on hold on to the new. And today, Jesus is saying, would you like to leave your old life and receive a new life in Christ? Let go of that old life. And receive a new life in Christ. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.